You put on your gumboots, grab your favorite handwoven basket, and venture into the woods. You never know what bounty you might stumble upon. Welcome to the Nature of Phenology, where we share the cycles and seasons of the outdoors. I'm your host, Hazel Stark, and this episode was written by Joe Horn. Late August through September can be such a marathon for the serious gardener. After months of toiling in the garden following the wisdom of garden gurus like James Crockett and Elliot Coleman, the garden becomes a runaway freight train of productivity, tossing out bounties of tomatoes, peppers, corn, chilies, basil, and all manner of earthbound tubers, each crop with its own schedule of picking and its own methods of preservation. And so the country kitchen becomes a sort of laboratory for the mad scientist that is the home canner, so that when a nor'easter blows in February, we can feast upon the divine essence of summer. And what is a runaway freight train without a train wreck? Nothing derails a bountiful garden like the first hard frost of the season. Frost forms when surface temperatures of objects like cars and plants dip below both the freezing and the dew points. The dew point is the temperature at which water vapor turns into liquid. This dip below freezing and dew points causes instantaneous fuzzy ice to form on the surface of objects like our lovely garden plants. Ice formation on the outside of the plants causes a chain reaction of ice formation on the inside of the plant tissues as well. These dagger-like ice crystals literally stab their way through the plant cells, rupturing the cell walls and causing those tissues to die. I have heard old wisdom about moon phases and frosts, but these really don't hold up to any statistical analysis. More likely, it is those clear skies devoid of a blanket of cloud cover that both showcase a stunning full moon and offer no insulation to ward off a freezing frost that make these freezes and full moons more notable in our minds. Correlation is not always causation. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, does a fantastic job of recording climactic data, including when the first and last frosts occur, at observation stations around the country. They take an average of those dates in order to give us a likely first frost date or a last frost date, which is very helpful information for the diligent gardener. Their data suggests that in my neck of the Downeast Woods, the first frost will not occur until early October. But I know that averages are exactly that, average. So I know I must keep a diligent eye to the weather forecast once we enter September, a full month before the average first frost date. Noah says very clearly that there is a 30% chance that the first frost could happen before or after the given date. Further confounding these averages is the reality of microclimates. I know that the top edges of the meandering valley formed by the Narraguegas River generally will get a serious hard frost weeks before this posted first frost date. Little pockets of inland topography can succumb sooner than areas closer to the coast, which will enjoy a longer, more productive end to the season. Does this mean that NOAA scientists and their methods are bunk? Of course not. Averages give us nothing more than an imperfect statistical looking glass into phenomena. Take, for example, that the average height of men in the United States is 5 foot 9 inches. My dad's 6 foot 2 and my uncle's 5 foot 4 doesn't mean the average is false. It simply means that when you add their heights together and divide the resulting number by 2, we get an average height of 5 foot 9, the national average for men. Anomalies like Michael Jordan, frosts in late August, and vaccinated individuals getting sick 
really happen, but overall, on average, these things are all statistically unlikely. Yet, as the consequences of an anomaly become riskier, our preparation for these events becomes more diligent. That's why clothing sizes don't commonly come sized for basketball legends, yet folks tend to vaccinate and mask during pandemics and cover their precious tomato and basil plants when the weather person calls for nighttime temperatures hovering around 40 degrees. Prudence is practical. Furthermore, the greater the consequence, the greater the diligence. So if you have a garden and wish it not to die prematurely, you might consider keeping an eye to the weather report. It doesn't take much to stave off a killing frost. I like to throw tarps, old sheets, and moving blankets over my garden when the threat of frost is upon us. Oftentimes, all it takes is a thin veil of cotton to trap just enough warmth from the ground to stave off a wayward freeze. You can download this episode and find a link to our blog with the transcript, photos, information about podcasting, and more by visiting archives.weru.org. Thanks for listening, and please join us next week for another dive into the nature of phenology. Thank you.